Hello, and welcome to the Relatable Homeschoolers Podcast. We're four homeschooling mamas with a combined 32 years of experience homeschooling our 12 kids, and our homeschools are anything but Pinterest perfect. Whether you are a veteran homeschooler, a new homeschooler, or just homeschool curious, we want to encourage you in your homeschooling journey and offer you practical tips and tools to make your homeschooling life easier. We're so glad you're here. Hi, everyone. Thanks for being here and welcome to another episode of the Relatable Homeschoolers podcast. I'm Lindsay and tonight I'm here with Harmony and Heather and we are talking language arts. So ladies, what do we mean when we talk about language arts? Harmony, will you tell us what you are think about when we talk about language arts? Well, as an ex-language arts teacher, language arts includes a wide range of things, everything from writing and reading to literature study and literary analysis, to spelling and grammar and mechanics and all of those different topics. So any writing class or reading curriculum that you do would fall under language arts as well as spelling and grammar and the technical pieces of writing. So it's really a wide ranging subject. It covers quite a bit and it evolves I think a lot over the years of development of our kids. So they start out with very basic things like phonics when they're learning to read would be included in language arts on all the way up to, you know, the literary essay as a high school student or the research paper, all of that falls under language arts. That was a super comprehensive definition. And thanks for pointing out, you know, how it evolves over time. It is such a large subject area that we could probably break it out into the each individual subjects that fall under the heading and talk about that in more detail. But tonight we're going broad. So Heather, what does language arts look like in your homeschool today? Well, I'm glad you clarified today because that is probably... That is probably the one, you know, curriculum area that has most evolved in my homeschool. It's the one that I find myself trying new curriculums different years with different kids. I'm not one to jump ship middle of a year so much, but when I'm reevaluating for the next kid, if I wasn't super satisfied with something, I will try something else. So currently today, language arts looks like for my youngest He is doing first language lessons for the well-trained mind by Susan Weisbauer. And my next oldest, he went through those as well. And that's probably been, of course, you know, my last kid, the one that I have enjoyed the most. I really like it. I feel like they're really learning the basics. I can ask my nine-year-old to give me the definition of a noun or a verb, and he can give it to me, and he can identify it in a sentence. And it's the only language program I've used with elementary kids that has actually had them diagramming sentences. So I really like that. Uh, My second oldest is now doing apologias, a reason for writing. And he's basically learning now that he has the basics of, you know, a sentence, learning how to write papers. My next oldest currently is, you'll be surprised by this. I'm kind of freewheeling it with her language curriculum this year. I think I mentioned this, but she's reading through the Birchbark series. And so I have found different things through Teachers Pay Teachers, things for some of the books, and or I'll have her write an essay on the book. So that's what she is doing. And then my high schooler is doing an American Lit 
language arts curriculum. So are those like all comprehensive that all the different pieces of language arts are included? So they're doing some writing, they're doing reading, they're doing reading comprehension, they're doing spelling, or is it it just cover certain aspects? So the first language lessons for the elementary child. So it's a workbook that we're going through and it's learning a lot of repeating memorization of the sentence parts, diagramming, and then also maybe once or every two weeks, there's a day that will have me read through a story or a poem of some sort and then ask him questions. So it's more like, you know, reading comprehension. Are you listening to what I'm saying? And can you answer these questions in a complete sentence? And then there's also dictation involved in some of the days too, where he just has to copy down what I say. In general, reading is not in his in that curriculum for him. I just have my kids read, you know, every day separately, whatever books they're getting from the library at that age. My next oldest, he is doing the apology as a reason for writing. And that is strictly just a writing curriculum. So like his last unit that he did was basically an interview. He had to construct interview questions and then he had to interview somebody. So he did a FaceTime with his grandma in Texas and asked her all the questions about her childhood. And then he had to take those answers and write a paper on it. And again, for him, for reading, it's just whatever books he's has from the library is what I'm doing for reading for him. And then my next oldest, who I'm just kind of freewheeling it, it's just she's reading and then I'm picking things out for her to do for that. So that's not a comprehensive. And then for the high schooler, she's reading American literature. I know it has a study book that goes along with it that will ask her questions for different chapters that she's reading in the books. And then also that she has to write a paper for those as well. And it provides a rubric for the papers, for the grading. Like I said, this is the first elementary curriculum that I've used that has diagramming sentences. So like my girls never did any type of diagramming of a sentence or anything. And then we use different things for spelling and for handwriting and so forth. It sounds like you've got a lot going on in the language arts department over there. Four kids, four different grade levels. I mean, I think that kind of just comes with the territory. Yeah. And I think this is probably the one area of curriculum that it's four different curriculums as well. Right. Like I think language arts and math tend to be the ones that we, you know, go with like either a grade level or a competency level of some sort versus, you know, some of the other things like history, science, and some of the other studies that you can kind of double up at least on a couple grade levels. So it is a lot. Harmony, what about you? What does language arts look like in your homeschool these days? Mm. Okay, I want to preface this, and hopefully this won't be laborious. When I was a kid growing up, I was a voracious reader. My mom was always like, get your nose out of the book and go outside. And I'd go outside and take the book with me and go hide somewhere with the book, right? So one of the things that was really disappointing for me growing up was the way that language arts was approached in the public schools. I hated reading group. I was bored out of my mind. I was an early reader and always an advanced reader. And I was always way ahead of the other kids I was in class with. So I come to it from this place of always being ahead in language arts so that whatever my class was doing, it was just no brainer work for me. So I was the kid who was reading another book under my desk, you know, during language arts lessons in elementary and middle school. And I always felt like the writing assignments were terribly boring or prescribed. And even when I got to high school and I was excited about reading literature, it was never as exciting as the books I was reading on my own. So I really wanted to approach it differently with my kids. 
And then, of course, I went and became a language arts teacher, and I wanted to do things differently. And I did a lot of, you know, having independent reading in my class and having kids keep, you know, book journals and things like that. There's a great book called The Book Whisperer by Donalyn Miller, and she is a public school teacher who talks about how to create readers in your classroom, how to help kids become readers so that they're not just reading for school, they become lifelong readers. And how do you do that from a public school standpoint? And it's it's very difficult. So I thought, I definitely can do this differently in my home. And I knew right away that I really just wanted to go the route of reading a lot of books because I knew that for myself, that was how I got my language arts skills was simply by being a really big reader. So that is just what we have always done. You know, I took the shortest route possible to get my kids reading and then just kind of let them loose. So we do do some things, but they're very different than what I grew up with or what I did as a teacher. Lots of reading good books with my little weird learning how to read right now. And it was at her direction. So a lot of Charlotte Mason, she says, you know, don't even start trying to teach reading until six. Well, my five-year-old was ready and she was asking to read. And she actually asked like a year ago and the phonics weren't clicking. So we waited and came back to it. And then I could tell she was ready because it was making sense to her. So she's learning to read. She actually read all of Hop on Pop today. So she's reading through Bob books and we do sight words and then some light phonics. I use a book called Teach Your Child to Read in 20 Easy Lessons, and it's kind of broken down. It's sort of like phonics drill. We do a little bit, just, you know, a few minutes every day, and they're just off and running, and I used it with my eight-year-old too. But with my older daughter, she reads at about an 11th grade level, so she's well ahead. It's a challenge to find books for her that are appropriate content and still challenge her reading-wise. So I just try to focus on really good literature for her. And I let her read whatever she wants. And if she wants to read below her reading level, then that's fine too. And I think that is the case for all kids. And that is something that Sarah McKenzie at Read Loud Revival talks about is there is no harm in letting them read below their reading level. Just let them read, you know, because reading below their reading level just continues to boost their confidence, continues to grow their comprehension and their enjoyment because it's easy. And you, we want them to love books. Mm-hmm. right? So because that will feed everything else. So that's really kind of where I come from. And I let her choose her own books. And she even chooses with me the books that she's going to read independently during the school year that are, you know, fiction or literature. And then we have read louds and I'm always reading out loud to her as well. And then she also reads to my five-year-old. So some of my five-year-olds read louds for kindergarten, my eight-year-old reads to her. And she's become a very good verbal reader, very good at reading out loud, very expressively. So that's good practice for her too. So all of those things are kind of like in the reading spectrum. For grammar and spelling and punctuation, all of that, we do copy work. They do a little bit of copy work every day, small bites, just a sentence or two, nothing really long. That's part of, you know, Bloom's taxonomy that when you, you learn something better by writing it down. And so they see it on the page, they copy it down. You're learning where to put the periods, where to put the commas, what types of words are capitalized? How do you use an apostrophe? And you're doing all of that and you're sort of taking it in organically. So I'm not really even explaining it. She's just, you know, it's almost like it's by osmosis. But I can see the transference in her writing when she does write. 
that she is spelling well, she's using punctuation most of the time while she's picking that up. So some of it is just ingesting it through the copy work. And I never, I remember ever doing copy work as a kid. So it's a very old fashioned sort of approach that is coming back around, I think in different homeschooling approaches, Charlotte Mason being one of them and classical as well to do copy work and ingest it that way. We also do a little bit of dictation. She gets to look at a short piece of writing. It's usually just a sentence or two. A lot of times it's a famous line from poetry or something a famous person said like Ben Franklin or George Washington or then it's beautifully stated, but it also will have unique words in it or unique uses of punctuation. Some of it is multiple lines of poetry where you have interesting line breaks and things like that. And they're taking in those. So they get to look at it and study it visually for as long as they need to. And then she hands it back to me and I read it out loud to her a few words at a time. I don't say the punctuation. I just read it clearly. And it is her job to remember how to copy it down and then they write it. So they're trying to capture it visually in their minds while they're looking at it and then remember you know, how to write it. Where's the capitalization? Where's the punctuation? Where are the line breaks if it's poetry? That is something we just started in the last year. You know, I wondered about spelling when I was starting out and I looked at spelling curriculums. And then one of the things that Charlotte Mason says about spelling that I thought was really interesting is that spelling the earliest you should begin is like nine after they're reading well. And then you should only do spelling organically within the context of what they're reading or what they're getting wrong. And so with dictation, she hands it back to me. If she's made a mistake, I have her fix it immediately. And then we move on. Instead of choosing a random list of like 20 words every week that we're just going to learn to spell through passages that she's actually having to read or that have some kind of meaning. And sometimes I say, oh, this is from a poet by Elizabeth Barrett Browning. And we read this by her, or I'll explain who said it. Or, you know, and we have a little bit of conversation about what the dictation piece is. The other thing we do, I'm not having her do any formal writing at eight, is narration. And that's also a Charlotte Mason classical thing where when she reads something or I read something to her, she has to tell it back to me in her own words. And that helps the brain to capture and process on their own terms. So it's like, what did they get out of it? And there's no right or wrong in narration necessarily, but it helps them learn how to capture what they're taking in as they're taking it in, paying attention to what they're reading or what they're hearing and processing it and giving it back out with their own twist on it, you know? So like whatever stood out the most or, and then eventually she'll start doing written narrations. And in a way it probably sounds like summarizing, but it evolves into something where they're interpreting or analyzing as they're going. And that becomes the foundation for writing expressive papers later on. And there's been a lot of success using that technique with kids. So oral narration, and then it'll become written narration. So all of these things are done in little bits, like very short lessons, like it's five minutes. The other thing we do is I do use Brave Writers, Arrow. I choose ones that are based on books that we have already read. And so what it usually does is for each week, you get a passage from a book and you can either be reading that book or you've already read that book. So we've done Charlotte's Web, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, Little House in the Big Woods. We're doing the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe right now. And then there will be some, like an unpacking of what the author is doing creatively in that passage that you're looking at. So like the passage we were looking at last week addressed dialogue and how the dialogue was done. And so there's sort of little bites into looking at something that you've enjoyed in literature and then being able to say, what was the, what was the writer doing here? And not so that you're picking it apart, but more of a noticing like, oh, look at how he used this word to convey this. And look at how she said that. And what did that studying the language 
from an artistry angle without picking it apart from a technical perspective so much. It's more about, I mean, you are getting technical because you're talking about things like pronouns and, you know, descriptors and all the different parts of speech, but not so prescriptive and not in isolation where it's just some random sentence. This is actually a passage of a book that that you loved. And so those are all the things that we do. And they're totally different from anything I did as a kid. Yeah, that's awesome. And I love that you said, though, that it is in small bits, because I think that can sound a little overwhelming when you hear it all laid out like that. But just as a reminder, language arts covers so many subjects. And while they all go together, they each have their own component. For our family, my kids are second grade, fifth grade, seventh grade. My second grader has just really started having an interest in reading. So we use kind of a combination of some different things. I have the all about reading curriculum, which I've used with two of my kids. It's been a really good curriculum for us. So I would say we follow that loosely. I have him work on the flashcards. There's these little magnet letter tiles that my other child I used it with loved and he does not love those. So we use a boogie board instead. If you know what that is, it's like this little board that they can write on and they click a button and it erases. So he writes his stuff on there. We'll use that instead of the magnets, but still doing the same thing, kind of just kind of showing him how to build the words. I don't do a formal spelling with him, but I just have him practice writing a combo handwriting and spelling practice. Some of the words that he's learning to read just to reinforce that. So he'll see them again. I'll do it as like a little spelling list for him. It's very much driven by him at this age, because like you said, Harmony, I think unfortunately, sometimes the school approach to teaching language arts ruins reading for a lot of kids. And I want my kids to be those lifelong learners and lifelong readers. So we try to, you know, preserve the reading at all costs. And I feel like, especially in the younger years, we focus so heavily on the reading, knowing like the spelling and things like that will come later. And even if they don't like some of that, it's okay. My husband is not a good speller. And he would tell you that he always has to ask me how to spell things. And like, he's a fully functioning adult, you know, like, and he's getting by just fine without spelling. And I think of all the assistive technologies that our kids are going to have. I mean, spell check is amazing. There's things now that will check your grammar, like Grammarly. We're going to have all these tools at our fingertips. And it's it's still good to know grammar and it's still good to know the spelling. But if you're not a star student in one of those areas, you're still going to be okay in the world. And I have to remind myself of that. Sometimes I can get a little bit too hung up on, oh, are they learning enough? Or, oh, they're not doing great in the subject. No one can be great at every single thing. We all have our strengths and our weaknesses. And that's also, I think, why I've been more relaxed especially with my third about him reading a little bit later than would be acceptable on a traditional school schedule. Now that he's interested in it, it's going so much faster um, and he's making huge strides. So my fifth grader is actually my daughter and she has dyslexia. Our approach with her has been really different. She didn't start reading really well until she was probably nine and she's 10 now. So probably only over the last year. And she's made huge strides this year too. All About Reading is dyslexia friendly. It's like a multi-sensory approach, very phonics-based, so that has helped her a lot. Then just taking a relaxed approach with her, letting her read below her grade level, and just practice reading a whole lot of easier books. You know, when we say dyslexia, this could be the whole different conversation, but what I learned when she was diagnosed is that the word dyslexia just basically means you have trouble reading, and it doesn't really say why. And there's so many whys behind it and so many different forms of dyslexia. Her dyslexia specifically presents in some trouble with working memory. So she can see a word 
and see it a hundred times, but it's not getting imprinted into her memory. So she might have to see a word twice as many times as a child without dyslexia for that word to become part of her concrete vocabulary for reading, writing, spelling. So we've just really had to let her read books over and over and over, lots of repetition. But she's now reading at least at grade level, possibly above. I haven't really done a testing or anything with her, but she's much, much more confident. And that's what matters to me is her confidence level. You know, I could care less about what the grade level is that she's reading at, but that it's not a struggle for her as much anymore. Probably now, even probably I would say 85% of the new words she encounters, she can figure them out pretty quickly, which before I was maybe 15, it was really low. So that's been really good. And as far as formal curriculum for her, we are using for our literature, Build Your Library this year. And so far the books for the fifth grade level have been a perfect fit for her. She's been able to keep up with the reading. It's a early American history this year. So she's been reading a lot of different books in that genre and enjoying it for the most part. Spelling, I don't really do much formal spelling with her. She has a spelling workbook that I picked up and I just have her kind of copy some spelling words out of it here and there. I don't give her a test because I'm just, you know, kind of the same thing, having her exposed to some spelling, recognizing the words, reading those words just really helps her. And then she does a cursive handwriting program through Handwriting Without Tears, which we have loved for handwriting in our homeschool. It's just a really gentle approach. It's workbooks and I think for language arts is probably the area other than math. We do use a workbook for math, but math and language arts, my kids like workbooks. I'm not really a workbook mom, but it has worked well for my kids and they like it. And I think they like it because they can see their progress, especially I think with handwriting. I love showing my kids the beginning of a year, like look at your handwriting at the beginning of the year and look at your handwriting at the end of the year. And because you don't see it as it's going on day by day, but then when you, you, know, you look at the whole picture, it really adds up writing, I'm actually co-teaching my seventh and fifth grader together. And usually that's one that I do split up, but my daughter really loves writing and she would just write all day if she could. And my seventh grader, he does not love writing. We switched actually in January this year, we were using IEW for both kids, which has worked well for us in the past, but it was not really exciting and keeping their attention. And it just started to be a chore. So usually when that happens in our homeschool, I know it's time to switch it up. So we did, and we're using Write Shop. It's my first time using Write Shop. I have not used it with my kids before, but it's a pretty comprehensive writing program. It does have some grammar elements. It has some dictation and narration elements that Harmony talked about before. And then different language arts, just the basics you need to know. Like my kids had to learn how to use a thesaurus the other day and, and look up synonyms and antonyms and things like that. The building blocks of writing, it's really geared towards a middle school. Really great for my seventh grader and fifth grader, because since she's, I would say, in the writing department, a little more willing and a little more ahead than where he is, I've been able to co-teach them. And it's worked out really well because they're doing the same assignments, but they're doing them you know, on their own separately. So it's kind of neat to see how each kid takes the same assignment and comes up with you know, a different thing. This week, they had to describe an animal in detail. So the assignment was really just having them work on their descriptive writing. And they both ended up writing about our dog, but they both <laughs> came up with really different little papers at the end. So they've really liked that. And I think to the variety of the assignments. And then my seventh grader for his reading in literature too, he's also doing Build Your Library. His is World Geography. So he's reading a lot of books from all over the world, which I love because I feel like I wasn't until college that I was really exposed to a lot of international writers and books that were originally not published in English, but are great books. And then they are republished in English. So that's been neat for him to just get exposed to the whole wide variety out of literature. Yeah, I think 
it's important to say too, as a caveat for me, language arts is my sweet spot. And it's something I feel really confident in deciding about because of my range of experiences and then having taught. But language arts is, if it's not your sweet spot, there are so many great programs out there to support you. There is something for everyone. It's just like anything else in homeschool. If you want something more structured, if you want a workbook approach, if you want a more freewheeling approach or more organic approach, you're going to find something that is for you that suits your personality as a teaching parent. So we're all different from each other and doing very different things, obviously. So there is something for everyone. My sister, her oldest is 13. She's used IEW for a long time and it gives a very structured foundation for writing standard forms and they've built on that. And so now I think this year she's branching out and doing something a little less structured with them. So it runs the gamut and you can find something, you know, that will work for you. Yeah. I think that's a great point. Like to the extent that there are some writing curriculums that are a straight up script that it tells you, parent, you know, you read this to your kids. So you don't have to be a former language arts teacher like Harmony is mm-hmm. to successfully teach your kid language arts. It's probably actually better. Well, like well, Annie has happen. talked about science. It's better if you unteach yourself what you learned in teacher ed, right? Yeah, I think you're totally right. Sometimes that, especially when you're trained in an area, it can definitely be harder to break out of that mold. And I think something that is similar in that all of us talked about is that we've tried some different approaches and found what has worked for our families. And that looks different, you know, between kids. It looks different between years. I know one thing that I really rely on a lot in our language arts curriculums are audiobooks and actually in other curriculums too. I know we've talked about the story of the world history mm-hmm. uh, books on here. I think Heather, you're using the audio CDs this year, right? Or you we have did. in the past. Yeah. Yeah. And we've loved those in the past too. And because our family tends to use some really literature heavy curriculums, a lot of the times I will see if we have the audiobook simply because I can't read out loud that long <laughs> for that many hours of the day. So it's nice to be able to, if you can have access to the audio book through maybe like a free library app, like a Libby or a Hoopla, which are the two that our libraries use. I think Overdrive is also tied to Libby. Frequently kids audiobooks too. If it's, you know, a children's fiction or nonfiction, not necessarily like a spine, they're cheaper than your monthly Audible membership. So a lot of kids books can be found on sale. Sarah McKenzie actually puts out email lists with, these are the kids audiobooks that are on sale right now for under $5 and I'll scoop up, you know, a bunch of things. But I do the same thing simply because of work. I could read loud, you know, for hours, but I don't have time to always read loud. So when I can find audiobooks for our history spine, I think we've been Andrew Lang's Blue Fairy book. That was the longest fairy tale book on the planet. Some of those fairy tales took like 30 40 minutes to oh. read, you know? I mean, I'm going to never forget The Master Maid, if anybody's familiar with Andrew Lang. It was one of our favorites, and East of the Sun, West of the Moon. But those were like 40 minutes on audio. And I was like, no. So I was so glad I had the audiobook. So sometimes it's just a matter of time too. And then you can just listen. 
right? Mm-hmm. So they can sit at my desk and listen to an audiobook and I can be working while they're listening to the audio, you know, and that's fantastic. So audio is a big time saver. And brain science shows that you don't take in an audiobook any differently as far as the content goes, than you do by reading it. Listening to an audio is the same as being read aloud to. So, you know. Right. And usually with like a better voice actor. <laughs> right. <I> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I was going to say, so last year we did all of Harry Potter on audio and it was at one point, I think we were getting ready to leave for another trip and I was just getting the CDs from the library and the next book hadn't come in yet, but I was able to get the actual book and I was like, well, I could just start reading it. And my kids were like, nope, uh uh-uh, uh, not having it, mom. <laughs> sorry. Like, I'm sorry, I can't do 130 different voices. Okay. Like Jane Gale, right? Yeah. It's so good. <laughs> it's so good, right? It, and it's just, yeah, I mean, I would choose that audiobook hands down over me reading it to my kids any day of the week. It was phenomenal. Yeah, I think with language arts, this is really true of every curriculum, but as homeschool parents, we just need to do what makes our lives a little easier too and more enjoyable. I enjoyed listening to audiobooks too, same thing. Or, you know, my kids have played with Legos or colored or painted while they listen to audiobooks. And then I can send a quick email or fold a load of laundry while I'm listening to, you know, just to take one thing off my plate. I think anytime I can outsource, whether that's actually physical outsourcing something outside of my home or just to an audiobook when I can, I try to do that. Well, I think we've probably joked before about car schooling, which usually means we're listening to audiobooks in the car. Mm-hmm. We're car schooling, exactly. you know, so yeah. you're on the way to co-op or piano lessons or whatever, you're getting in, you know, your 10 minute history lesson or mm-hmm. what, or you read aloud or whatever. And I would not cram in nearly the amount of fiction that I read for myself if I did not listen on audio. I listen to audio making dinner, I listen to audio folding laundry, dusting. I always have audio going at that time. So yes, big fan of audiobooks here. And also I think we want to give a shout out to graphic novels and also to abridged classics and children's versions of things like biographies and other pieces of nonfiction. There is no shame in an abridged edition of something or a graphic novel version of something. There are some great graphic novels that have come out recently. Lindsay mentioned them in a previous episode, Anne of Green Gables, A Wrinkle on Time by Madeline Langle. And these are great because especially for struggling readers or reluctant readers, they are a little bit lighter. They can go hand in hand with audiobooks or support the same way audiobooks do to be sort of a gateway. Actually, there have been some studies that have proven that a kid who has read the graphic novel version of something or the abridged you know, children's classic of something is more apt, not less apt, but more apt to pick up the real book later because they have a better chance of enjoying it as a lighter piece when they're younger. So there's no need to worry about or to turn your nose up at those genres. Yeah. My daughter got really into the new, the redone babysitters clubs, which Mm. I read all the Mm -hmm. babysitters clubs when I was a kid. And now they have the graphic novels and they're so adorable. And that really was the thing that kind of lit the fire under her that she wanted to read a little more independently. And those have been great. And now we're finding the same thing with my son, um, my youngest son, who's seven, because he sees a sister reading graphic novels, he wants to pick them up too. And he's read all of her babysitters clubs. And now he's really into, I think I've mentioned them before, Nathan 
Nathan Hale's mm-hmm. Hazardous Tales, which are historical and they're so good. I just bought him a new one today and it's about the Haitian Revolution. I was like, I didn't know about that until I was a full adult, like maybe in my 30s. And he's seven and we're going to read about that, you know, and currently we're just about done with the one that's about Harriet Tubman and the Underground Railroad. They're so creatively done. They're really engaging. He's begging me to read more about that. So, I mean, in my house, that's a win. We could probably just talk about books the whole rest of the night and how to get your kids (laughs) to read more. When it comes to buying some of this stuff too, if you can, it can be really good to check out your local independent bookstore. And the reason for that, and I work in publishing, so I know what I'm talking about here. The reason for that is that they buy different inventory. The big chain bookstores who will remain unnamed. They're going to have the same stock of kids' books everywhere. They're going to have more recent releases. The number of classics or Newbery winners are going to be smaller in number. And they're just not going to have as many unique things. And I have found that independent bookstores, especially if they have a really good children's buyer, will have a lot more variety in fiction and nonfiction than bigger chain bookstores. So check out your local independent for your kids if you have one. And if you don't want to drop a ton of money, then you can request your library to get them. Or you can see if the library library has them, but at least you can walk in and you can see what is available. And a shout out to librarians too. Yes, um, that too. Or the book, the children's book, people who work at the independent bookstores too. I know that for my kids who are more voracious readers, they've read all of the more popular things for their age range or ability. Just having a, a librarian recommend something different to them a few mm-hmm. times has really got us into like maybe a new book series. My kids really love series. So that has been really good for our family. Another thing that unschoolers do, but that anyone can do, especially in this area, is just strewing. Leave books around. Go to the library. Let your kids pick out books, but you pick out books too. Go around, find a whole bag full and leave them lying about the house or pick up something new that no one has looked at before and leave it about. One of my favorite things is the ledge shelves that people, you know, like photo shelves that are lead shaped. Mm -hmm. Ikea has them really inexpensively. I use those as face outs and I swap out what's on them or I'll buy something new and I'll just leave it there for them to find. And then I find somebody hold up with this book and it goes on for like four days. Everything from science to history to geography. I always am looking for cool atlases. I have an atlas of all the oceans and, you know, what kind of creatures live in these areas and what does it look like topographically underneath? You know, are there mountains? Are there caverns? Anything visually stimulating that they just take it in because it's a book. And so a lot of learning here happens hands off too. It's through the vehicle of language arts. I guess that's another good point. Language arts can be a vehicle, especially reading for all the other subject areas and for supplementing those. Just fill your house with books. Everything will be okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, really like I know that we, you know, dropped quite a few 
curriculum recommendations, yeah. but if you have the library card and a whiteboard and a marker, you can teach your kids language arts. Yes. Like you, it does not need to be expensive. It does not need to be fancy. And you, of course, like utilize the resources you have available to you, including tutoring if your kid really is struggling in that area. And I would also say like, this isn't probably an area where I have brainstormed with other homeschool moms about what has worked for their kids. Because like Heather said, this is an area that she's, well, she said, thanks for asking what we're doing now because it changes. And I think I have changed language arts curriculum several times too. There's so many out there, which is great. Can take a little while to find the right fit for your kids. That can also change in different seasons too. Like I said, we just changed ours, but it doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't have to be super time consuming books and a whiteboard and some flashcards if you're into flashcards or some shaving cream. We used to love to write some letters and some shaving cream. My kids would probably still love to do that today if I got it back out. <laughs> well, and that's a good thing too. You can pull a dictation, a narration, a copywork lesson from any book. You don't need a workbook. You don't need somebody else to tell you what to pick. You can just pick something and go with it. They're going to ingest it. So any of the techniques that we talked about, grammar exercise or spelling word, if you want to do traditional spelling words, you can pull all that from whatever you're reading. Pick a book that they love and pull it out of there and utilize the language that's already in front of you. Well, I think we've covered a lot of ground here tonight. So we'll have to put a pin in this conversation because I do feel like we could talk about this all night or several more hours at the very least. But I think that one thing that I want to encourage other homeschool moms with today is that our approaches to language arts have changed. Our views of language arts have gotten more broad and more relaxed in some ways as well. So I want to ask you ladies tonight, if you were speaking to the earlier version of your homeschool self, what would be a piece of language arts advice that you would give to yourself? Harmony, could you go first, please? Yeah, I think it would just be to keep it simple and focus on a love of reading and the rest will branch off of that. Mine's similar. I was going to say read more. Being a person who was not a reader growing up, I did not read growing up. I just didn't. Like for school, I went to the mall and bought the cliff notes. <laughs> and it really wasn't until I became a mom that I started reading for myself and for my own enjoyment. That grew as I grew in mothering. And then as I grew in homeschooling, my love for reading grew. I would just say to read more mm, for yourself and to your kids. Yeah. Mm. Amen to that. Yeah, that's great. I think mine would have to be trust your gut. You know, I had all three of my kids' language arts has looked really different. My oldest was reading at four. I followed my gut pretty good with him. And then my middle child, you know, when, when she wasn't reading at four as well, I wasn't too worried about it. But then, you know, when it was, she got to be like seven and eight and she was still struggling. I just had that gut feeling. This is not just, you know, her path. This is something different. And we found that it was, and she has a learning disability. And then with my seven-year-old, he would rather run around outside barefoot and play basketball all day. And there's that part of me that thinks he's quote unquote behind, but behind what, first of all, and he's not, but we've just 
slow walked it. And now all of a sudden it's starting to click. And just by trusting myself as their parent who knows them better than anybody and trusting that they each have their own path that has worked really well for us. Just like both of you ladies said, I'm trusting my gut and I'm just like, keep reading to them, keep reading to them all the time. Well, thanks ladies. This has been great tonight. I really appreciate you joining me for this conversation and we hope you guys will join us again next week. You've been listening to the Relatable Homeschoolers podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. You can find links to all the books and resources we mention on the show at our website, therelatablehomeschoolers.com. We would love to hear your homeschooling questions. You can email us at therelatablehomeschoolers at gmail.com. You can also connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at The Relatable Homeschoolers. We'd love it if you leave a rating and review for us on iTunes. It only takes a minute and we'll ensure more homeschooling mamas get to hear our show. We'll be back with another episode soon. Until then, happy homeschooling schooling.